rest of us please turn to Acts chapter 20 as we continue to slowly make our way through this passage. Acts chapter 20. We'll be starting our study today in verse 25. So a a very quick recap. If you're keeping track, today is our fourth sermon in this passage of Scripture, and there are three more after it. That's how I have it planned out. So I I wasn't sure how many it would be. It looks like it's going to be seven sermons here. But listen, it's what it is. So first we looked at in verses 17 and 18 what Paul taught about being an example. And there's more of that coming next week as well. But, um, and then the second thing we did is we looked at verse 19 and looked at the importance of serving the Lord, which is what Paul said that he did when he was among them. And then in the third message in verses 19 and 20, uh, we looked at the, the humility and perseverance of Paul. And I'm sorry, actually, we've already done four. This, this is actually number five today, so there's going to be eight. Mighty God. Mighty God. <laughs> it got a mighty God from Brian, so there, there you go. Uh, Brian, I, I meant to say last week, good to have you back with us, brother. Oh, praise, the praise the Lord. Yeah, Brian, Brian, we prayed for Brian. So next, next men's fellowship, you're up again, right? I'm, I'm praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You come and stay overnight at my house the night before. All right? There you go. Praise God. He had a, a slight mishap, but Brian is back in action, raring to go. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, so anyway, we talked last week about verses 21 through 24, and now we come to verse 25. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word now, and, and Lord, I, I know that, boy, I just have so many things, Lord God, that I feel like, I learned from you as I studied this and so many things to say. And, and I pray, Lord God, that I would receive these things and we would all receive these things and, and that you would be honored and glorified, that you would be pleased, we ask, Lord God, to move in the hearts of your people, that we might be taught, that we might be edified, and that we might go forth being doers of your word. If someone's listening today that needs to be saved, save them, Lord, we pray, as only you can. And if someone's listening today that just needs to, maybe they're already a believer, but they just need to get their life in order and get on that narrow path of following you and serving you, by your grace, draw them to that today, we pray, Lord. In all things, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say, first of all, uh, just a little personal thing here. The, uh, the passage, the part of the passage that we get into now is where Paul really starts to talk to them. And he's already been talking to them, but he's been talking, he's been talking a lot about reminding them of how he was when he was among them, and, and he talked about what he expects was going to happen to him 
when he went to Jerusalem. In, in the three verses that we'll cover today, he also continues to still talk about like how he was when he was among them, but now it's much more directed at them. It's like, this is what this is what's important for you to do because this is what I did, right? And, uh, and, then, in, and then as it goes on into the passage, especially we'll, we'll cover next week, will just be one, one verse. Next week will be verse 28, which is so packed with things. But as I read it, you have to know this, as I read this passage of scripture, I found the Lord just really doing some work in me. And, and on me. And I felt compelled to just stand up and to say to you all that I really, I really want to be a good elder and a good pastor and a good overseer in the, in the church of God. And uh, I, have, I, have, I think I can say before the Lord that I have tried to be that uh, for almost 20 years now. And as I really studied through and thought about this passage of Scripture... The Lord encouraged me with some things and the Lord also showed me some things that maybe I need to change about myself and showed me some things that maybe I even need to lead us in changing about our church. Nothing dramatic or anything to really worry about, but all I wanted to say to you was that, uh, just personally speaking, I really love being the pastor of this church and, and, and I love being with all of you and I love that I get to share God's word with you. And, and that is really the most important thing of all. I think if I and if you together remain above all committed to that singular task, which is to read and to study and to meditate on and be faithful to the scriptures and to desire to be doers of God's word and not hearers only, if we together stay faithful to the word and learn what the word teaches about a lot of these things and keep it in practice in our lives, I'm just very uh, excited about how the Lord, whatever he grants, might uh, do with us and in us here in the future. Okay? Yeah? Praise the Lord. You received that? Okay. That's a word to you. No, you don't have to clap for that. Don't, I, I, I just, nice of you, but, but, but I, I, just, uh, I just wanted to say that because it's a passage of scripture where Paul speaks to them and, and really just says some really important things. You'll see that especially over the next few weeks, okay? All right. Um, let me ask you a question on that note. If you knew that you were going to see someone for the last time, maybe they didn't know that, but you did. You knew you were about to get together with a friend or a family member, and whatever the reason for it may be, you're moving, you're uh, some sort of family change, maybe even one of you is dying. If you knew you were about to see someone for the last time and you had a few minutes to talk to them, what would you say? What would you say to them? In the beginning of this passage of scripture, Paul says in verse 25, and indeed, now I know that you, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God 
will see my face no more. So they don't, that, that kind of hits them hard, you'll see at the end of the chapter, because they sorrowed over the fact that they would see his face no more and they, knelt, they kneeled down, they had this beautiful time of prayer. But, but Paul says, you know, and, and, and the people he's talking to are the elders of the Ephesus church, right? So he kind of drops this on them, like, I know I'm not going to see you. You're not, I know you're not going to see my face anymore. We're not going to see each other anymore. I know that. So if you were in that situation with somebody, a family member, a friend, whatever, what would you find it important to say to them? If you're a parent and your child was going away, you know, what about this? Say, say you're like, say like, you know, you're all watching the news of the war, right? Say like you have a child who's in the military and there's a war and they're, they're going away somewhere, right? Some of you have been in that, in that situation, right? What, what would you say to them? I think that I think that whatever you said to them, you would consider extremely important. Like, I'm never going to see you again. Here's what you need to remember. Here's what you need to know. We've reached that point of this sermon where Paul is like, I'm not going to see you anymore. And you see the next word, the first word in verse 26, therefore. Therefore. Let's see what, let's read these couple of verses, couple of statements here. and Let's see what was important to the Apostle Paul. Knowing he was never going to see these pastors. He was never going to see these church leaders, these elders. He was never going to see them again. Let's see what was important for them to know. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I might as well read verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And then he goes on to warn them about how savage wolves would rise up from both outside and inside the church. That's two weeks from now. So basically, the first thing that Paul says is he, he tells them a, a statement that at first might seem like a little shocking maybe on a human level, almost a little, not proud, but a little heady. But really what he's doing is he's, he's quoting something from Scripture, which I'll, I'll share with you in a moment. He's, he's referring to something in the Old Testament. But what Paul says to them is that he's innocent of the blood of all men. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And then he goes on to tell him why. The reason that he's innocent of the blood of all men is because he hasn't shunned declaring to them the whole counsel of God. 
These are elders. These are church pastors who receive this word. Uh, Let me read to you. You can turn to it if you want. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 16. When Paul speaks of the blood of all men, when Paul speaks of being innocent of the blood of all men, Ezekiel 3.16, and it says the same thing almost verbatim later in the book in chapter 33 and verse 7. Ezekiel says this. He says, It came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man... So this is like God speaking to Ezekiel, right? Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Right? So, so, I want you, Ezekiel, to go and to warn the people of Israel about how they're walking and how they're living. Because they're walking in sin. And their sin demands justice from me. And that justice from me is not something that any man can bear. Because the justice for sin is death, right? So I want you to go and tell them. And if you don't go and tell them and warn them about their walking in their sin, they're going to die. But their blood I'm going to require at your hand. Now look at the next part of this. Yet. If you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, same thing. He shall, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So you see what Paul is doing in sort of invoking that concept when he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. It's like he's putting himself in the place of like prophet Ezekiel, not that he's trying to compare himself to him, but he's doing this for the sake of the people that he's talking to who are pastors. Do you understand? That is to say, when someone takes on the role of pastor, there's something they need very importantly to understand. They are speaking for God. They are speaking words that God wants people to hear. And those words are very often words that are hard. Those are words sometimes that are confrontive. Those are words that point out things about people's lives that they don't want to hear. Those are words that tell people things like they are sinful and they are accountable for their sins. They are sinful, and yes, it matters before God. There is a God who is holy, and he judges and he punishes sin. Now, as pastors, we get to tell good news too, right? We get to warn people of their sins, and then we get to tell them the good news, which is that God, in his great love, gave Jesus his son, who died for our sins and rose from the dead, so God made a way that your sins can be washed away, and you can have the gift of everlasting life. But that is God's only way to save someone. And they need to be warned. They need to be told. They need to be invited. They need to be warned 
about all of those things. And Paul's able to say, I'm not guilty of the blood, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Because Paul, in his life, was faithful to do that. And he's able to say that to those elders. And so what does that put on those elders? Man, we need to be like that too. We need to think about what God said to Ezekiel too. Because what God said to Ezekiel was this, basically. You need to warn these people about sin. And you need to alert these people that humility, repentance, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is the only way that they can be delivered from their sin. And if you don't, they're going to die. In Ezekiel's day, that meant die. In our day, I would say, beyond that, it means die and go to hell. It means die and go to hell for all eternity. Right? So, if we don't, as pastors, and I think this extends beyond the pastors because pastors are to share these things with the people in the churches so that the people in the churches realize that, listen, let me tell you something. The church is, if you can think of it this way, the church is like a prophet all by itself. The church is like one giant prophet. We are one body and Christ is our head. We are, as sometimes is put to music, his hands and his feet. We are his mouthpiece. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. Right? And so, and so it's for all of us. But especially Paul is talking to the pastors. And so I take this very seriously. God said to Ezekiel, man, if you go and you don't warn them, they're going to die. But I'm going to require it at your hand. What does that mean? Does that mean that if the pastor doesn't preach the true gospel? Does that mean if the pastor like, doesn't do it as much as he ought to do it? Or, or he, he has some weakness or lack? Or, well, I mean, we all have that, right? But does that mean the pastor loses his salvation? I don't think it means that. Right? But it does mean that he suffers loss. It does mean that he suffers chastisement. John MacArthur says it invokes divine chastening and loss of eternal reward is what he's speaking of. That would have been true for Ezekiel. That would have been true for Paul. That would have been true for the Ephesian elders. That would be true for me. And in a greater sense, in a general sense, to some extent, I think it's true for all of us. He says, yet if you do warn the wicked and he doesn't turn from his wickedness, stop there. God, you catch that? God himself, sovereign God, acknowledges that even if you say what you're supposed to say, there's a chance they're not going to listen to you. So right away, you have to accept the fact that part of your call is not to just try to find people who will listen and accept and follow and believe you. It's to preach to everyone. And he says, if they don't listen to you, then they're still going to die, but you've delivered your own soul. Delivered your own soul from what? You've delivered yourself from that divine chastisement and that loss of eternal reward. That's why, brothers and sisters, James, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Now, on the one hand... We want to see people rise up to be teachers. There are some among you today who are teachers now, and you do a great job. There 
are even among you those who, Lord willing, will be pastors one day. There are some sitting here right now, maybe, who have never even thought about that in their life before. But they will be. We, we, we've, 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 had, we've had at least one person in this church already come through the ranks in my time who is a pastor right now. We have another one who I'm pretty sure is sitting right here who's on his way. But I'm, hope, I'm hoping that there's others as well. We want teachers to rise up. But it says, don't let many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Yes, it's a good thing to preach and teach. But if you're going to preach and teach, you make sure you're ready to preach and teach the right stuff and you make sure you know who your audience is. When he says, my, when he says I'm innocent of the blood, what is it? The blood of what? Does he say I'm innocent of the blood of you? Does he say I'm innocent of the blood of the people in your church? Are you innocent of the blood that you stand there, the blood of the people that you stand there every Sunday and preach to? No. Paul says I'm innocent of the blood of all men. All men. And when you approach the task of teaching, your desire should be, Lord, Help me to share the truth of your word with as many people as possible. Help me not to miss any. I laid out a whole pile of gospel tracts on the back table in the church this afternoon. They've been out there at various times past. I don't know why they haven't been out there lately. Probably because we collected them all and took them to a street fair and I've been slow to put them back out. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I don't want to be guilty of the blood of other people. Do you guys, do you guys know who Keith Green is? The singer? The old singer, Keith Green? Keith Green was famous. I don't know if this is his own line or he's quoting it for someone else, but Keith Green was famous in his short, young life of saying this. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost people. And, and that, that's a thought that's right out of Ezekiel as well, Right? That is to say, we're Christians. Who, 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 if God's going to require blood on someone's hands of all these people who are walking around ignorant of the truth of the gospel, who would it be other than the Christians of this generation? Right? Brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Teachers receive stricter judgment, James says. And he says, for we all stumble in many things. We stumble. I stumble. Teachers stumble. Lots of people stumble. But you have to be careful because the thing that's really important in teaching is that you have the example that you're living and you're teaching the right stuff, which we will come to. Hebrews 13 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. So my job by standing here and opening my Bible as much as I can and preaching, my job by praying, my job by seeking the Lord on my own, just maintaining a good close walk with him, my job in studying and preparing the word, my job in witnessing and being an example, my job in 
in, in preaching the word of God to you and praying for you and reaching out to you and caring for you is one that brings with it an account. I have to give an account for that. Like Ezekiel, I can't control how you respond to me. I may yearn, pray, beg, cajole, anything that I can do for you to read your Bibles and pray and come to church and be involved and be part of it. And you may never budge. You may never move. But at least if I've warned you, I know I'm doing my role before the Lord. But that's also why he says, obey those who rule over you. You need to respond. You know, I feel like in the modern last days, if you will, American church, for some reason we've developed an attitude that is basically this. You can't tell me what to do. That's our attitude towards God. We'd never say it, but it is. Because things are said in his word that we do not obey. And for whatever reason, bad doctrine, bad understanding of grace, bad understanding of sovereignty, bad understanding of theology, we do not obey. We think obedience is somehow works that corrupts grace. So, so we do that to God. You can't tell me what to do. We do that to the authority of church. We do that to pastors. Scripture says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. I got to tell you, God is all about order. God is all about that. God, listen, there's a reason why Paul, on the way to Jerusalem, stopped to talk to the elders of the church. He didn't go and have a big church meeting and say this to them. He talked to the elders of the church because their job was important. And if God sets aside the elders like that, if Paul, in his wisdom that God gave him, set aside the elders like that, it's because their role is critical in the church. Should go without saying, but... Well... So anyway, Paul says, and I'm sorry if I'm not delivering this as well as I hope to, but he says... I am innocent of the blood of all men. Pastors, teachers need to run and minister and serve, walk with the Lord, oversee the life of the church in such a way that when they get to the state of their life where they're maybe looking back a little bit, the occasion that brought it on here for Paul was he was never going to see them again, so here's what he wants them to know. That they can say that as well. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I don't know that I can say that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can't. I think of missed witnessing opportunities. I think of seasons in my life where I got a little distracted or get lazy or whatever, you know. The good news is this, that God is gracious. The good news is that God is merciful. And the good news is that when God opens your eyes to something in his word, it's because he's always calling us to repentance. He's always calling us to humble ourselves, repent, confess our faults, turn to him, and get up and get going again. If you're saved by grace, don't you think you walk by it too? If you're saved by grace, don't you think you live by it too? And let me just say, while that sounds like I'm saying something about myself, I mean it for you as well. 
I mean it for us who are believers. That we need to be moving forward for the Lord. I started to say I put gospel tracts out on the table back there. It's because it's the easiest thing in the world to do. I, I made a commitment. I, this is going to sound like a silly thing, right? I don't tell you a lot of stories, and I, I, I don't want to, but, you know, I, I made a commit. I, I, I go out and I drink coffee. Hey, listen, I've reached the point of my life where I can get coffee for 75 cents at McDonald's. It's awesome. So I call Steve when he's awake, which isn't right now. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, he actually is. Okay, good. But, but we go and we sit and, and I drink coffee. And I just made a commitment that when I sit there and drink coffee, I'm going to take gospel tracts with me every single time. And, and so far this year, we're only two months into the year, but like I've gone many times. And every single time I've gone, I've given out a number of gospel tracts. Every time, just like boom, boom, boom. And you start to get strategic about it because like, hmm, 2.30, the high school across the street gets out. And so I'm there when they come in. It's like, here we go. Let's go. You know, and so we just, you just, we just pass them. I've gotten into a couple of decent conversations where I've witnessed to people too. And it's nice. But I want to say to you, it's easy to do, to spread the word of the gospel in written form that way and set yourself up where maybe you can speak it to people. Listen to me. Listen to me. We don't want as a people to have the blood of our generation on our hands. Every Christian should be Number one, carrying around and handing out gospel tracts. Everyone, if you have some opinion, some, some cockamamie opinion that's based on some dumb view of some Bible verse that you heard that says, well, no, people can't read it. And guess, Listen, knock it off. The Gospel of John says at the end of the Gospel of John, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What John is saying is, my gospel here is the first and biggest gospel tract in the history of the world. The Gospel of John was written for people who don't believe so that they can read and understand that Jesus is the Messiah and through faith have salvation. Now look, we have actual Gospels of John for that reason that you can take and you can give to people. We have tracts you can give to people. Christians should be inviting people. You should be inviting people to listen to things online that the church is doing. You should be invi- Your whole life should be devoted to this endeavor and to this cause when you're talking with your friends, when you have an opportunity, you can give them the little cards we have that'll point them to the church online. You should be inviting the services. Hey, we're open again. We're going to start having dinners again. We're going to start having things like that. You should invite people to come and hear the gospel. I mean, I don't know why we don't see, I mean, well, the pandemic explains it the last two years, but we should see like visitors coming in and out of here all the time because we're preaching the gospel to people. So listen, If you're a Christian, remember, it's our job to spread the gospel for others. Like Paul, listen, he says this to these pastors. So this is especially important to me. But he says this to these pastors because it's like he knows, you know they're sitting there receiving that and they're thinking, boy, oh boy, can I say that about myself? Because he wants them to think that way. And all of us should think that way. Now, let's press forward a bit. Verse 27. Why is he able to say that his blood, the blood of all men, he's innocent of it? He says why in verse 27. 
for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Quite a statement, right? May I first point out to you what he did not say. Uh, He did not say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men and then listed all the programs in the church that he created. He didn't list out all of the meetings that they had. He didn't list out even how they cared for the poor and widows, although that's important. He didn't list out all of their creative strategies for trying to reach people. He didn't list, we had lots of nice concerts where people came and listened to us sing. He didn't list out any, like, you know, just, look, you you can think of your own things to put on the list. Let me get right to it. The reason that he was able to say my hands are innocent of people's blood is because he did not shun to give them the whole counsel of God. There you go. What's the one thing you want to point out to these pastors that you're never going to see again? I am actually able to say, in accordance to God's call to Ezekiel, that my hands are innocent of people's blood because I did not shun to give them the whole counsel of God. The word shunned is hupostello in Greek, and it means to keep back or to withhold something out of sight, to hide it. Right? In other words, Paul didn't hide the word of God in any way. He didn't withhold anything. He gave them everything. He gave them the things they would like to hear. He gave them the things they would not like to hear. To declare, the word is anagello, which means to announce in detail. Announce in detail. All right? So when he says, I declared the whole counsel of God, what he's saying is, in detail, I announced everything. I held nothing back. I've hidden nothing. I've announced every detail. And that word counsel is the word boule in Greek. It means volition. That's why some modern translations have the word will. Uh, you know, I haven't, I, haven't held, I haven't shunned to declare to you the will of God. The will of God or the purpose of God. The counsel of God. What God thinks and wants. So that's really what he's saying there. The reason I can say that my hands are not guilty of anyone's blood is that I haven't kept back anything. I have announced everything in detail. And what I have announced to you is the entirety of what God wants. Every pastor should listen to that and think about that set of words and that verse and examine his own ministry and ask himself, what is it that your ministry is about? The ministry of a church is about God's word. The ministry of the church is about delivering God's word to lost people, delivering God's word to saved people, praying for people that they would receive God's word. Look, Everything we're doing here is directed and driven by God's word to begin with. You don't even know who Jesus is without your Bible. You don't know any of this without the Bible. You know there's a God because you can see the creation and you have that natural sense that he's there. But that specific revelation, you know, that God has given us, that special revelation that he's given us, which is his scripture. That's what teaches us everything, and that's what the pastor needs to be devoted to. There are some things that God hates, all right? 
There are some things that God doesn't like when it comes to teachers. Did you know that? Of course you did. In Jeremiah chapter 29, thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 29, 21, listen to this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maasiah. Now, now listen, it's kind of like uh, Alexander the coppersmith. You know, it, it, you don't want... Um, you don't, uh, Demas, who had like deserted Paul. You don't want your name remembered in the Bible like this. It says of them who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying... The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. Like, like, like God was so ferociously angry with these two false prophets who spoke supposedly in the name of the Lord, but was actually lying to the people that not only did God cause them to be killed, but he caused their names to be like a proverb, like a saying. The, like if you were mad at someone, you would say, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they've done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am witness, says the Lord. That what I just read to you is one of the most important foundational statements for why pastors in their pulpits need to carry their Bibles in, wrestle with their Bibles while they're there, and then carry them out and go and spend a week and get ready to do it again the following Sunday. It's Bible, Bible, all Bible. Because when God says, they've spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, listen, here is what God has commanded pastors to preach and to speak, and their pulpits. Amen? Amen. And these, past, these, these prophets would stand up in front of the people and say things that God didn't tell them to say. God doesn't like lying in his pulpit. God doesn't like hypocrisy in his pulpit, right? They were adulterers, and yet they were preaching to other people. God wants the truth of his word in integrity and faithfulness spoken. God hates lying. He hates lies and he hates liars. You don't think so? I won't read it to you now, but turn to, turn to Proverbs chapter 6 later on. And look at the six things that God hates and seven are abomination to him. Read that and get up on them and see how God feels not just about lies, but about liars. Now, if God hates liars, how much does he hate liars who purport to speak in his name? And there are a lot of them and they stand in pulpits. They have TV shows. They have YouTube channels. They have all kinds of means and mediums and they stand up and they say all sorts of things supposedly in the name of the Lord. But if they are not carefully opening this book and bringing out the whole counsel of God to people, they are lying before God because this is what God has called people to do, to deliver his whole counsel. Uh, Another thing that God hates when it comes to speaking, is he hates endless storytelling. We're not just to get up and try to figure out what will capture someone's imagination. Story after story, manipulative, 
emotional pull on somebody's heart and mind, usually to get them to give money. There's a lot of this that goes on too. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, right in the beginning of the book, verses 3 and 4. Paul's writing to Timothy, who happens to be the elder of the church of Ephesus, like these men that he's talking to in the book of Acts. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables, those are stories, and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. All right? So God does not like it when preachers just stand up and sell all sorts of stories and emotional things like this to try to get people to like them, to give them money or whatever. What the Lord is looking for is his word to be carefully verse by verse expounded and taught. Those stories that the, that the, that the false teacher thinks that people like, it actually has the opposite effect on the congregation. It causes arguments. It causes disputes and it breaks up what is supposed to be happening, which is godly edification, which is in faith. There is one tool for edification and this is it. Amen. This is it. Uh, another thing that God hates is money grubbing. I couldn't think of a better word to describe it than that. <laughs> Titus chapter 1. You would expect that I'd be reading from first, from, from first and Second Timothy and Titus while we're talking about Paul speaking to elders, right? Because, I mean, we call them the pastoral epistles. Titus chapter 1 and verse 10 says, There are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households, listen to this, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. You know, you can easily think of, for example, the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement. And I have to tell you, the extent to which that still has a hold on people is amazing. You will still hear some of these people and see even clips of them or whatever standing up and talking about how they're believing God for expensive airplanes or clothes or, or God's giving them all this money or whatever. And, and, and doing this in a way that they're coaxing people to give them money because if they do that, God will do the same for them. And this goes on and on and on, and you think it's just these big, famous televangelists, but a lot of smaller churches, they watch, they see the crowds, they see how it fills the auditorium, and they lust for it. And so they copy it, or so they copy aspects of it. And what that does for people who sits in the pews is it legitimizes it in their minds. Paul told Titus their mouths need to be stopped when people are preaching just for the sake of dishonest gain. What does God want spoken in his pulpit? One thing, also to Timothy, all scripture. Hallelujah. Can someone praise the Lord for all scripture? Aren't you glad that you have all scripture? Isn't it the greatest blessing in all the world? All scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. 
Look at the stuff that the Bible can be used for. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know that that means God breathed. Those five, I've said it all the time, but those five words given by inspiration of God. That's five words that are used in the King, New King James to translate one word, theonoustos. God breathed. What it means is every word of the Bible, though written down by men, actually came from God. It's God breathed. That is to say, God is the source. You know, like, like I am the source of my own breath. God is the source of every word of Scripture. And every word of Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then he says to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's heavy. That's heavy. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul making a charge before God and the Son of God. The Apostle Paul making a charge before Almighty God and the Son of God. You know whatever comes next is huge, right? Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word. That's what preachers in their pulpits need to do. Stand up. That's why Paul could say, my hands are free of innocent blood. Because when Paul got up to preach, what people got was the Bible. Hey, Paul, we saw preached once until midnight and someone fell out of the window, right? Now look, I don't know what Paul was preaching and I would grant that it would be difficult to stay awake until midnight and listen to a sermon when there are literally lamps burning in a room. But I guarantee you this, what Paul was saying fell under the umbrella of the whole counsel of God. He wasn't just telling fables and stories. He wasn't coveting their money. He was preaching to them the truth of the gospel of Christ, the truth of the word of Christ. And he tells Timothy, look, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, stories. So he tells Timothy, you preach the words of all scripture and be warned that even as you do that, the days are coming when people aren't going to listen to you and they're going to be turned aside to fable. But you know who will listen? You know who will listen? The true you know who will listen? Listen, The wheat. In other words, listen, Timothy, don't accommodate the tares. Right. You preach for the wheat. Amen. Right. You know who will always listen? The elect. That's right. The adopted. The sons and daughters. Amen. Timothy, you preach for them. And if God converts along the way, some of the other ones, great. But be aware, the time is going to come when people are going to heap up teachers that are just going to entertain them. But you just keep doing what you're called to do. We should love our Bibles. We should love the Word of God. Listen to a few statements about the Word of God, all drawn from one psalm, Psalm 119. Listen to this. Here's why preachers need to preach the word of God. Here's why preachers need to preach the whole counsel of God. And, you know, even before I read this, let me, let me give you a couple of statements on, the whole, on this, this whole counsel of God. 
uh, John MacArthur said that of the whole council of God, that the implication is that those elders that he's talking to, they must follow Paul's example of preaching a complete gospel of God's redemption of sinners or face God's chastisement. And this is still true for all pastors, he said. J. Vernon McGee on the whole council of God says this, as I look back on my ministry, I can say truthfully that when I stood in a pulpit, in the pulpit, I declared the word of God as I saw it. I have the deep satisfaction of knowing that if I went back to any pulpit which I have held, I haven't a thing to add to what I have already said. I don't mean that I couldn't say it in a better way, but the important thing is that I declared the whole counsel of God. I have always believed that the important issue is to get out the entire word of God. There's a website I like to read that I occasionally recommend things to some of you on. It's called Got Questions, right? Here's what they said about the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God includes some things that are difficult to hear. The fact that we're dead in sin and deserving of God's wrath and the fact that we cannot save ourselves through works. The gospel is a call to repentance and faith. Believers will face persecution and likely be considered foolish. But none of these things can dissuade us. We should follow Paul's example and also preach the whole counsel of God. All scripture is inspired and all of it is profitable. We must preach it in its entirety and allow the Holy Spirit to use his sword as he sees fit. Paul did not share half-truths or only parts of the gospel. Rather, he shared all of what God has revealed. We must do the same. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. So, listen. You want to have confidence in why preachers should share the word of God? Listen to these statements from Psalm 119. Your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Talking about God's word being the whole counsel of God. The psalmist called the word of God my counselor. Verse 38. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Um, Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Why do we preach the word of God? It brings comfort to the afflicted. Verse 81, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I have become like wineskin and smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. The word preached is what will carry the hearer if they hear and listen through hard times and difficult times. We search and we strain until our eyes hurt looking for answers from God. But it is God's word that carries us through difficulty. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to see as you walk through life? God's word is your guide. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Why do you preach? Why do do we need to preach the whole counsel of God? Why do we need to preach God's word? It's what teaches us. It's what gives us understanding. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. It is the word of God. That teaches us how to walk so that sin which we've been set free from has no dominion over us. If you meditate on God's word, believe God's word, and walk according to God's word, you will experience freedom from sin. 
You'll experience it. It'll be your life. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. The person who feels lifeless, the person who feels beaten down, it is God's word that restores that sense of vibrant life. When Paul asked the Ephesian church to pray for him in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 6.19, he said, pray for me that I might be able to preach the mystery of the gospel. Ultimately, that's what the whole counsel of God amounts to. What the whole Bible points to is the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is that before Jesus came, it was not yet fully understood what it would be. They knew Messiah was coming, but there were aspects of it that the the minds and the hearts were darkened to. Who would he be? What exactly would he do? The whole fact that the whole thing was open to the Gentiles as well, to just repent and believe and be saved. That God would place his spirit as a permanent seal in any person who humbled themselves, repentance, and believed the gospel. Paul says, pray for me that I may make that mystery known. Right? It's the word of God that reveals and shows us these things. We need to be teaching people who God is. He is Yahweh. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is our creator. He is the one and only living God and he is holy. We need to be teaching that from our pulpits because the Bible teaches it. We need to be teaching people that we are alienated from God because of our sin. We need to be teaching people that God's law condemns each one of us. We need to be teaching people that there is judgment which is coming. We need to be teaching people that there is hell that awaits for those who die in their sins, having not repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ because the Bible does. We need to teach people that Jesus, though, is the Messiah, the Son of God. We need to teach people that Jesus died and took the punishment for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, and that he is the only way of salvation because the Bible does. We need to teach people that they need to repent because the Bible does. We need to teach people that they must believe the gospel because the Bible does. We need to teach them that salvation is by God's grace through faith, not of any of their works. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. They must just believe and be saved by God's grace because the Bible teaches that. We must teach people, Christians, when they believe that you must be preaching the gospel to other people. And you must be walking worthy of the calling in which we've been called. You must be walking in spiritual discipline, praying, reading the word, studying the word, meditating on the word. We must teach people that you must be faithful participants in the life of your church. We need to teach people that you need to love one another and care for one another because the Bible teaches all these things. We need to teach people that you're going to face hardship and you're going to be persecuted. Your life's not going to be easy. It's not just going to be filled with abundant blessings and everything else. There's going to be hardships and you need to endure them because the Bible teaches that. We need to teach people that Jesus is coming again. 
And we need to ask them, when He comes, will He find faith in all the earth? He's going to come again. He's going to judge everyone. Every person will give an account even of every idle, idle word that they have spoken. Every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds that He's done in His body, whether good or bad. We need to teach that Jesus is coming and He's going to establish His kingdom. And we need to teach it all because the Bible does. Why did Paul say, my hands are free from blood? Because he did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. This is what I need to do. This is what this church needs to be about. This is what you need to love and support with your prayers, with your attendance, with your offerings, with your uh, participation. This is what we're about. And it must be so. When Paul realizes he's never going to see them again, this is what he says. My hands are free from everyone's blood because I did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. Let's in this church be about that together. Stand up with me and we'll close with prayer. You know, we started late this morning, so you've got to grant me a few extra minutes, right? But we're still right on time. I think our service is still like 90 minutes long. I don't think we'll sing the last hymn for time's sake. Let's close with a prayer, everybody. If you have any questions about anything you heard today, come and ask. If you're watching online, write to me and ask. If you need to know where you're at with the Lord, I mean, really, that's between you and Him, but I would say to you that if you have any questions about whether you're saved or not, you're in the place where you can come and ask. Come and ask. And if you don't come and ask me, ask the Lord. Right? You, listen, we've said it over and over. We sang about it. We preached it. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, gave His life for our sins. Hallelujah. And He rose from the dead. And if you want your sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God and receive His gift of everlasting life and every other wonderful thing that goes along with that, I would strongly urge you, cry out to Him. If you believe, humble yourself. Repent. Repent means to just turn to Him. Repent towards God. Repent towards God, is the way Paul said it in Acts 17. Turn from the godless life and turn to the Lord and believe His gospel. Cry out to Him. Ask Him to save you. And do it today. Our Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you that we could preach it. I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to be a good elder and pastor in this ministry. That you would raise up others to share that with me or do it elsewhere. I pray, Lord God, for all of us as a people that we would love your word and support and participate in the life of this ministry. That we would be faithful to it. And I pray that you would save souls through the preaching of your gospel and raise up disciples by the teaching of your word. Thank you for this time we've had together here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.